This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah! Carlson, yes! Welcome everybody Carlson. to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, is Brian Combe. Hey, Elon. In the same room again. Yeah, here we are. I don't know if people notice. Try to pick out which episode of the last, I don't know, let's say five, Brian and I recorded in the same room as opposed to over Skype. That's a challenge for you, but a challenge for us is to deliver another quality episode of Keeping Carlson, and I think we are up for the challenge And before we get into it, and we have a lot of things to talk about, let's just mention really quickly that we are presented by DailyFaceOff.com, your source for starting goalies, line combinations, fantasy news and advice. If you need any of that information, you better be going to DailyFaceOff.com. I do it every day. Good for you, Brian. I'm sure they're happy to have you as a user, just like we're happy to have you as our listeners. Yes, I'm talking to you, listening on your listening device. Let's start the episode with our fantasy hockey headlines of the week And headline number one, I think we have to address the elephant in the room, especially because we have him on our joint fantasy hockey team. Alex Ovechkin is in a huge slump, and it really sucks. What's going on with Alex Ovechkin? He's got seven points in ten games on the season, which isn't so bad. Five goals in ten games. I'll take it. Except, in his last six games, he has only one assist. And it was actually a five-game pointless drought. He got an assist yesterday, which was like... Woohoo! An assist for Alex Ovechkin. Great job picking him in the first round. Brian, what's going on with Ovechkin? Is he going to get to this 50-goal plateau that we kind of expected from him when we picked him so high? Or did we make a bit of a mistake? I'm going to take the suspense out of this. We did not make a mistake. But let's go back to that drought you talked about. And what's more prominent to me than the points that he didn't score are the shots he didn't take. Over the course of his career, you've been able to count on him for at least four or five shots on goal each night. But over a four-game span as part of that drought, he registered just seven shots in total. There's been speculation that he got injured blocking a shot or he's been asked to play a more defensive role. But Elon, let's not speculate. Let's prognosticate. In a couple of those low shot count games, he was seeing relatively fewer offensive zone starts, but nothing 
really far out of the ordinary, and there's no real trend that seemed to have been appearing there. The number of shots directed towards the net while he's on the ice have also been about the same. Maybe a little brief dip, but for example, he saw four shots blocked in a game against Florida where he put up just two shots on goal. Like his own starts, though, there's no real change in overall trend in his possession numbers. All this to say, nothing appears to have changed under the hood of Alex Ovechkin, so don't expect anything to have been changed above the hood? Does that work? He's still a threat to lead the league in goals scored and shots taken, and if there ever was a time to buy low on Ovechkin, maybe this is it, though corrections are already kicking in. He has 13 shots on goal in his last two games. Looks like he's back, and the goal scoring should follow soon after. Phew. Good to know, Brian. Thank you for clearing that up for us. I really can't wait for the goals to start coming and for us to start dominating, because... You know, we haven't exactly done that yet, and a lot of it has to do with Ovechkin. This week, our opponent had Sidney Crosby, who put up a zillion points, and Ovechkin gave us nothing. Right, you'd think Crosby and Ovechkin, they'll cancel each other out, but yeah, Ovechkin was left in the dust this week. Okay, let's move on to our second fantasy hockey headline. Let's talk about some outjuries. That's a term that we coined to refer to players who are coming back from injury and that you need to know about in case you need to put them in your lineup or maybe pick them up if they're somehow still free agents in your league. And let's start with a big name. He hasn't played a game this season yet. Derek Stepan. We've gotten a number of tweets from people asking, you know, what can I expect from Stepan? Should I pick him up? Should I trade for him? So, Brian, what do you say now that Derek Stepan is projected to be coming back to the New York Rangers sometime next week? What can we expect from the guy? I feel like just his inclusion in the outjury list should also be like the conclusion of our discussion about him because it's so obvious. He's coming back. That's all you need to know. And you might have gotten him for a bargain in your draft because of his preseason injury that, like you said, it knocked him out for the Rangers' first 10 games of the season. Or for the very, very lucky in pools with the very, very dumb, you might be able to get a bargain on him right now. Don't wait another second because if he's a free agent this minute, there's no guarantee he's going to be a free agent for another minute. So you have my permission, pause the show, check if he's available in your league, and add him before continuing. Don't ask questions, because going by his career numbers, he's going to be good for at least 50 points in New York's remaining 72 games played. He was almost a point-per-game player in the lockout-shortened season, and he managed 57 points in a full season last year. And a healthy chunk of the points that he's going to score this year are going to come from playing on the first power play unit. There's nothing more to say here. Derek Stepan. The end. Okay, well, if that's not a glowing endorsement, I don't know what is. We got a tweet uh, late last week asking who we thought that Stepan would be playing with when he comes back to the Rangers. Currently, their first line has Nash, Derek Broussard, and Matt Zuccarello. I would guess, and this, again, is just speculation, I would guess that Stepan becomes the center on that line. He's got Rick Nash on the left wing, and then Martin St. Louis doesn't have to play center anymore. He becomes the right wing, and you've got Nash, Stepan, and St. Louis. That's a line I want to have someone on. Yeah, of course, either of those three would be handy to have. Rick Nash is currently leading the league in points per 60 minutes, and Zuccarello, even though he'll be off the first line, maybe, I mean, we hate speculating about line combinations, but right now it's the best we have to go on. If Zuccarello drops off the line, don't be too worried. He's really been having a good week. We had a ton of questions about him in like a three or four day span, but he's picked up his game since, sort of. He had a three-point game against Minnesota two games ago. He had a goal and two assists and four shots on goal. There's still, I don't know, probably some hesitation, but his shooting percentage is low. So for all the people who were worried about Zuccarello, 
I don't think you need to be so worried. Yeah, he's not going to score three points every night, but he's also not going to regularly go on like three or four game pointless droughts. And also I should point out that yesterday against Winnipeg in this game where neither team scored any goals until the shootout, Zuccarello played four minutes and 46 seconds of power play time, which was among the top on his team. So he's getting regular power play time. He's on a good line. So Matt Zuccarello might be a good player to buy low on right now. Sure, just keep an eye on that power play time when Stepan comes back. Let's go full circle back to the reason we're talking about the Rangers. Stepan's going to eat into someone's time. Maybe Derek Broussard. He was up to five and a half minutes on the power play last game. We'll see what happens. And then while Stepan's going to come back and take some of that first power play time, the Rangers unfortunately lost someone yesterday. Ryan McDonough is apparently injured. He suffered a separated shoulder in that game against the Jets yesterday by Evander Kane, who was actually another outry. He was just coming back from injury, or he had come back a couple days earlier. But Ryan McDonough is now out for, it's looking like, three to four weeks. So, Brian, since we're still talking about the Rangers, who's going to take Ryan McDonough's spot as the, you know, power play quarterback on that top power play? I assume it's not going to be Stepan. Well, I think the Rangers wish it was Dan Boyle, but he's still going to be injured for at least another week, it looks like. Do you know that Ryan McDonough is the only Rangers defenseman who has scored a point on the power play this year? And not so many. He has two power play points, both assists. The only other defenseman seeing fairly regular power play time is Dan Girardi, so expect to see his minutes bumped up a bit. And then if you go down the list, you're looking at probably Matt Hunwick and John Moore. Elon, how do you feel about Matt Hunwick? I feel like you mentioned him on a previous show and I kind of looked at you like, who the hell is that? Yeah, exactly. And probably expected to stay that way. Even if you are a religious reader of box scores and stat lines, you really still probably won't get to know that name, especially in the time it takes for Dan Boyle to come back. But I guess he has a bit of a leg up on John Moore because John Moore is currently suspended. So that's kind of a kick in the teeth to the Rangers to have two defensemen out, one defenseman suspended. So you're looking at, you know, Girardi is maybe your number two power play guy, and then you're skipping down to your like number four or five power play guy. I wonder if maybe a forward will step in, but the way the Rangers seem to like to roll their power play units, I'm not sure that'll be the case. Matt Hunwick in the short term, that is not an endorsement to pick him up unless you're desperate in a deep league. Yeah, and Dan Girardi actually isn't that bad to own in general in a league that counts hits and block shots. Now, if he's going to potentially have power play time, he does seem like a pretty decent pickup for the next couple of weeks. For years, I've had him or considered having him on my team as a solid peripheral guy, especially, like you said, if your league counts blocks, very valuable, because he'll also have decent plus minus and throw a few shots on goal every now and then, and hits as well, he seems to be fairly successful in. And for our next outjury, Ryan Callahan came back to the Tampa Bay Lightning on Saturday, scored a goal, and I think that's interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, Callahan went right to the top line with Steven Stamkos and Valtteri Filppula, which is a great place to be, of course. Also, interestingly, Jonathan Druin was bumped down to the fourth line in that game. And Druin, you know, we went a bit Druin crazy last week, as had everybody. But we did say that you should be careful about what he's going to actually be able to do this season. And he's only been playing like 10, 11 minutes per game. He's got four points in seven games so far, though... Three of those points came in his first three. The last four games, he only has one assist. Brian, we all know that Jonathan Druin is a great prospect. And if you're in a keeper league, he's probably someone you want to hold on to. But just for this year, what do you think Druin's value is? First off, I want to clarify that hype was sort of tongue-in-cheek, okay? I, I wasn't totally 
buying into it. Didn't you look at the title of the last podcast? There's the bracketed don't. That's what I... Anyway, okay. So in a one-year league, his value is... It's up in the air right now, actually. If you want to get really excited about a young player and swing for the fences, then of course he's someone you can have on your team. But his ice time has declined sharply. They gave him the reins. They gave him the opportunity. They gave him the line mates as Elon, you mentioned, and then they gave him the ice time. He was getting, you know, 19, 17, 16 minutes of ice, and now you said that's down to like 9 or 10 a game. And the big red flag for me is when I see the way he's been used, if I look at a player usage chart, I see that he's been seeing really sheltered minutes too, like 70% of his starts have been in the offensive zone. He's always being put out against weak competition, and with all those advantages, his possession numbers are in the negatives. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he's not going to score points this year, but it does show that maybe he's just not quite up to snuff in the NHL yet. If you have him on your team and you want to be patient, by all means, go ahead and be patient. But I wouldn't hold your breath for anything big to happen over the next week or two. Would you say if you're in a one-year league, and again, we're only talking about one-year leagues here, do you think if you are a Druin owner, you should sell high right now? And by sell high, I mean sell high on the hype that's maybe still existing before people start to realize that he's not going to do much this season? That's a good question. I think he's probably much more valuable to you in a one-year league as a trade ship right now than as an actual player for all the reasons we just mentioned. If you can trade him for somebody who will definitely get 50 points for you this year, who's an established goal and assist scorer, then I think by all means you you should feel like you have the license to do that because Drew, yeah, maybe he'll get you 50 points and there'll be 50 really exciting points, but usually that's not a category in fantasy hockey leagues. How exciting the points are. If only. (laughs) And then I guess let's stick with the lightning now because while... This one prospect, Jonathan Druin, isn't putting up the points. Another one is Nikita Kucherov. He's been tearing it up lately. He's got five goals and four assists in his last five games. Am I reading that right? Yeah, he's been getting a lot of attention, and, and we tweeted about him several times over the course of the week. He's breaking out. This is it. And he is capturing everybody's attention. And in all honesty, I wonder if it's because everything is more exciting when a player's last name ends in of, especially if you've never heard of him before. Although the reason that he is kind of catching people by surprise this season, it's more likely that the reason is he was the only one on his current line that didn't have a huge streak of production last season. And his line, by the way, features Andrzej Palat and Tyler Johnson, and they are currently the third most productive line in the NHL behind only the Sidney Crosby line and the Tanner Pearson line. We're going to name that line after Tanner Pearson in honor of all the tweeters who love him so much. That's for you. What's amazing about these three on Tampa right now, though, is that of the 33 points they've combined for so far this year, 29 of those have come at even strength, and they're not seeing particularly easy or sheltered minutes either. Overall, Kucherov sits second in even strength points per 60 behind only Rick Nash, and Tyler Johnson is currently fourth. And they each seem to have their little niche, too. It's kind of funny. Kucherov is a shot taker who scores in bunches. Palad is a steady guy who's only going to put up, you know, maybe a shot or two on goal each game, but he will have consistent production over several games. And Tyler Johnson seems to specialize in assists. Here's where I normally put in the bad news. But there really isn't anything glaring about these three. Kucherov and Palat definitely won't continue scoring goals at the same percentage of their shots that they are right now. But all three have semi-reasonable PDOs, though that might be because their on-ice save percentages are low. 
They're on ice shooting percentages. They won't be sustained, but they're not going to crash and burn so terribly. You should get one or more of them if you can and ride them as long as they keep this up. So you're basically saying that even though Nikita Kucherov has five goals and four assists in his last five games, he's not like a sell-high candidate, like, try to get some awesome guy for him. You think he's actually maybe going to be able to not keep up this pace, obviously, but be a really solid player on your team for the rest of the season? Yeah, I'd be willing to wait it out for a while and and see what he brings me. And it sounds like I, I feel like a lot of people would be very reluctant to sell high on him right now. Hang on, I think he's going to be okay. He certainly has enough of a pedigree. This isn't terribly surprising what he's doing right now. So yeah, don't don't sell high on him. Save that for Tanner Pearson. And then one final outjury that we want to talk about, which is going to have a slightly different theme than the last two with Stepan and Callahan and us saying those are two really good guys to have. Another recent outjury is Danny Heatley. He finally came off the IR and it got people very excited because some people had drafted him because they saw that he had been signed by Anaheim and was going to play on that awesome top line with Getzlaff and Perry. Heatley came back, he played two games, didn't get any points. Then he's been a healthy scratch since then. So, Brian, what are your thoughts on Danny Heatley? I think we all know what Brian's going to say. Anyone on our Twitter account has been probably having fun seeing Brian fend off all of the people tweeting, asking us if they should pick up Heatley. Brian, give us your take on Danny Heatley. I have a feeling this will be the last time I'll be asking you this this season. I hope it's the last time you or anybody else asks me this season. I told you not to do it. I told everyone not to do it. All those who didn't listen to me have been sufficiently punished. Don't make this mistake again. And I think if anybody asks me on Twitter again, I'm going to tell them to get him and to trade a lot of assets for him because I'm tired of answering. No Denny Heatley ever again. Ever. (laughs) Are we clear? (laughs) Okay, we're clear. No, but what if he goes back on that top line, though? Then definitely take him. Then you should definitely (laughs) pick him up. If you can... See if someone will take Crosby and Kunitz for him. I'm not promising they will, but if you can swing that, I highly encourage you to do so. (laughs) All right, let's move on to the next team, which we have sort of a bunch of guys we want to talk about there. Columbus Blue Jackets. Here's some news out of Columbus. Wisniewski, he's injured, which sucks. We were getting a lot of tweets from people asking what they should do with Wisniewski even while he wasn't injured because he wasn't really putting up any points. So, Brian, first let's talk about... What do you think about James Wisniewski when he's not injured? And then with him being injured, who's getting the opportunity on the top power play on Columbus? Just like kind of what I asked about Ryan McDonough. Wisniewski was causing a lot of owners a lot of anxiety, I think, because he had three assists in his first nine games. None of those goals, three assists, one of them coming on the power play. But the silver lining in all that is 28 shots on goal. We've had a lot of anxious Wisniewski owners. I think everything's going to be okay. You should try and wait him out. Don't get rid of him. If you have an IR spot, use it for him. I expect he'll come back. Remember, this is a guy who had 51 points last season and has generally been at least a half point per game guy and above that rate even since coming to Columbus in the 2011-2012 season. Now, as for who gets his power play time, well, he does see the most of any Blue Jackets defenseman, followed by Jack Johnson. So Jack Johnson might see a slight bump. Or maybe he'll stay on that second unit and instead Tim Erickson could jump up to the first power play unit. Now, if the name sounds familiar, it's because he was traded from the Flames to the Rangers when the Flames couldn't sign his rights. It was a travesty for Flames fans at the time, but the Flames got a pick that turned into Marcus Granlin, so that's kind of abated. And then the Rangers included Erickson in a package that went to Columbus in exchange for Rick Nash. All that doesn't matter, though. What matters is that the expectations that people had for him, uh, he hasn't quite met 
so far. He has just nine points in 61 career games and only 11 shots on goal in 10 games played so far this season. I wouldn't get my hopes up that he's going to do anything especially productive in the time that Wisniewski's out. And just a funny note, he and David Savard, who is the next greatest share of power play time on the team, combined they have 25 shots. That is still fewer than Wisniewski has alone. All right, so yeah, aside from Jack Johnson, slim pickings for active Columbus Blue Jackets defenseman right now. What about at forward, one player who's another outchery, Nick Felino was out for, I guess, only a couple of games. He's back, and he got himself a goal and an assist yesterday against New Jersey. That brings him to four goals and seven assists in 10 games on the season, over a point per game. Is this Nick Felino guy for real, or is he someone that... If you have, you should, like, sell high on immediately. That's really hard. I actually, I picked him up this year on one of my teams, which I resisted doing for a long time last year when he was doing the same thing. But I'm starting to become convinced, but still not fully convinced, because he was given an opportunity several times by the team that drafted him, the Ottawa Senators, to step up and take a more important role in terms of scoring with the team. And he was never quite able to do so. His career high was with Ottawa. It was 47 points in 82 games. And I feel like that's where his value has sort of rested at about half a point per game, which, as we know, is about my benchmark for the lowest end possible of fantasy relevance. He was playing with Ryan Johansson at one point this season, and I think that might have been a reason for his numbers to go up, but he put up two points last game, and it's only one game, so we're not going to read too much into it, but he did it playing alongside Brian Gibbons and Jack Skill, who are both really only playing because of the unbelievable amount of injuries that the Blue Jackets are dealing with right now. Even on the power play, his line mates are Brian Gibbon and Alexander Wenberg more often than they are Ryan Johansson and Scott Hartnell. All this to say... He looks like a decent player. I'm picking him up. I'm going to ride him for a little while. I'm not saying that what he's doing is sustainable, but I am open to the fact that at worst, he probably will be a half point per game player. And in the meantime, until he falls to that rate, anything he does between now and then is gravy for me. And one last thing about Columbus, you were talking about all these injuries that they have. These injuries include Sergei Bobrovsky and in his place, Curtis McElhenney has been starting and he's been absolutely abysmal. In three games, he has a save percentage of 8.59 and a goals against average of 4.49. Zero wins. With Bobrovsky potentially still out for at least another week, or maybe let's say if he is to be out for another week, would you pick up Curtis McElhenney or is he just the guy who's going to blow up your goalie stats? Yeah, over his career, which is not a whole lot. He's only started 68 games in seven years in the league. He's barely stopped more than 90% of the shots he's faced. If you're in a league that needs minimum starts and you're not about to get them, then you probably need him and he's probably a handy pickup for you. Also, if your league value saves more than it does goals against or wins, then you can also grab him then. But if your league counts save percentage and goals against average, I would be concerned. So grab him if a goalie starting is positive for you. If you don't need to have that goalie starting, you can probably leave him where he is. And the next headline I want to talk about, yes, we are still in the headline section. I don't know if this is the most organized show in terms of I don't even remember what headline number we're on. But next headline, Brian, did you know that James Neal set the franchise record for the Nashville Predators for goals in October? Seven goals. And the previous record was Sergei Krivokrasov's six goals in the 1998-99 season, which was Nashville's first season. So I'm saying that, one, because it's a fun tidbit, but also 
Might as well ask you, what are your thoughts on James Neal? Do you think that he's going to be able to keep up his points? We talked about this in the preseason. Would he be able to keep up his points that he was putting up in Pittsburgh? I think most of the people were saying, no, he's not going to be able to put up the same points. At this point, he's doing pretty well. Like I said, seven goals so far. Also, while we're on him, we talked recently about Forsberg, and you said that you thought he was a good guy to have. The other guy on that top line is Mike Ribeiro, and we dropped Mike Ribeiro in our league Mostly your choice to pick up Mikhail Grabowski. So, once again, the questions for you are, what do you think of James Neal, and why did you drop Mike Ribeiro for Mikhail Grabowski, considering that Ribeiro is playing on the line with James Neal, where he's scoring all of these goals? Okay, I'm going to start with a non-accusatory question, which was about James Neal setting the franchise record for goals in October in Nashville... Which, like, I don't know how much that counts for, considering the kind of team that Nashville has been since their inception in 1998. So congratulations. They have a new coach. They have a capable scoring player. Seven goals in October. Congratulations to James Neal and the city of Nashville for that achievement. Don't let my sarcasm be misinterpreted, though. He's had a really good year so far. His shooting percentage is a touch high, but it's not too high. He's an early Cy Young candidate in the NHL. He has seven goals and no assists. Jeff Carter usually takes care of that. And he's putting several shots on goal a game, almost four on average. I like James Neal right now. I like him more than I thought I would. Now, as to your fair critique of a move I made for our team, and I will eat crow for it. You know, I just have this faith in Mikhail Grabowski because when he was in Toronto, he just was not being used properly. That was the knock against him. It wasn't that he's not good, it's that his coach wasn't using him in the right spots. He had shown himself to be an offensively talented player before that, way back in Montreal, and when on the ice, possession numbers for him and his teammates were always solid And that continued in Washington last year and is carried into New York this year. I guess the thing is is that he's still not seeing favorable minutes. He's seeing tough minutes. He's being used in a defensive role. And I guess why shouldn't he be? He does a good job playing that way. I have this hope in my heart for him after seeing the way he was treated in Toronto. Not that I've ever been a huge Leafs fan, but it's the same way I was really excited and still am really excited to see Clark MacArthur succeed in Ottawa. It's because these are good players who got a bad rap unfairly and are finally in positions to succeed. I'm hoping Grabowski takes advantage of that opportunity, but in Long Island, he is being used in a fairly defensive capacity, seeing not a ton of minutes, and I guess we're not about to see a bunch of points roll in, but I want to make the point that he could if they let him. Okay, but what about Mike Ribeiro? Do you think that he's going to be able to keep up the pace that he's been producing so far? He's got three goals and five assists for eight points in the first ten games. If you tell me that it's unsustainable then fine. But to me, it seems like these are pretty reasonable numbers to expect from a guy playing on the top line with a good scorer like James Neal. Okay, yeah, I've been hard on Ribeiro. I've never really liked his style of play, but that's really unfair. I don't think I can back that up. So I'm going to use the rational, objective side of me and say, Elon, I think you've got me here. I think Ribeiro is doing really well on the first line. Again, percentages are a touch high, but nothing concerning. He's on a good line that has good possession numbers, seeing very favorable minutes. And unlike last year in Arizona, where he scored 47 points in 80 games, he's got someone to dish to again. In Dallas, he had Louis Erickson. In Washington, he had Alex Ovechkin. And in Nashville, he now has James Neal. So perhaps, actually, Mike Ribeiro is an underrated add to your fantasy team that has maybe a bit of a bad reputation, especially coming off of last season 
season. The knock on him that remains with me is he just doesn't take a lot of shots on net. So if he's not getting assists and it's rare that he gets goals, then he's not doing a whole lot for your team. There's not a whole lot of added value in terms of the peripherals he can offer you. But that aside, if I had to choose today, perhaps it hurts to say I would choose Ribeiro over Grabowski, but I would watch Grabowski's usage every single game in the hopes of seeing a trend where he will be given the chance to produce. People, this is why this is the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson and their keeper pools, because we are willing to give you our prognostications, but also not just stand by them without considering after every game whether we're giving the right advice. You know, we're looking at the numbers every day and reassessing our opinions. That's what you want in a fantasy hockey podcast. And we thank you again for listening. And I say that because I want to take a quick break before we move on to our next fantasy hockey headline to thank the people who signed up to be patrons of Keeping Carlson. I mentioned it at the end of the last episode, and I promise I'm not going to do a seven-minute rant like I did then, but we really appreciate the people who have signed up. They include James Tao, Anthony Powell, and Ed Halim. These are the people who said that it was cool for us to mention their names on the podcast. There are some others. We're having a great time on our patron-only Facebook group talking about fantasy hockey, and if you want to become a patron of Keeping Carlson... You know, just check out patreon.com slash keepingcarlson to see all of the cool rewards that you can get, and we'd love to have you aboard, and it would maybe give you a warm, fuzzy feeling to know that you're helping to support this podcast, which we're hoping you're enjoying so far. Right, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and the name of the show is Keeping Carlson in reference to Eric Carlson, spell it that way, rather than John Carlson. (laughs) It also works for Ludwig Carlson and William Carlson. We'll keep all the Carlsons we can, I guess. But right now, okay, no, this is getting too off topic. So let's just remind everybody that if you want to continue supporting the show, there's a new way, patreon.com slash keepingcarlson. Elon, what are we talking about next? Yes, because we are still on the fantasy hockey headlines of the week. I think this whole show might be fantasy hockey headlines of the week. I want to talk about some backup goalies that might be taking over the number one job. I have two in particular that I want to ask you about. First, Ray Emery on Philadelphia has been seeing a bunch of the starts lately. Specifically, he's played five of Philadelphia's last seven games. And in those five games, he got four wins. Overall on the season, he's played six games, has four wins, a 9.15 save percentage, 2.74 goals against average. Is Ray Emery the new number one, or is he about to become the new number one on Philadelphia over Steve Mason? What would you do if you had Steve Mason, and would you pick up Ray Emery? Well, first off, if you have Steve Mason, I don't think you listen closely enough to our preseason episodes, or you just got unlucky, so sorry about that. My condolences to your goaltending stats. If you have Ray Emery... Well, the same thing. Philadelphia is a bit of a mess defensively this year. They rank 25th out of 30 NHL teams in score-adjusted Fenwick, and I don't think we've mentioned score-adjusted stats before. If you want to learn more about them, you can go over to fenwick-stats.com. That's where I'm grabbing this information from. In short, it takes into account the way that when a team is up ahead, they kind of stop taking shots, and the other team gets all the shot attempts for. So score-adjusted Fenwick tries to control for that and say, well, in this situation, a shot four is more or less valuable depending on whether the team taking it is leading by certain amounts of goals or losing by certain amounts of goals. But not to get off track, let's repeat the main point. Philadelphia is terrible defensively. 
They are ranked 23rd out of 30 teams in goals against per game play. That is linked to that Fenwick stat that I referenced earlier for the believers in hockey analytics. It's not looking good for any of their goalies. It doesn't help that Ray Emery or Steve Mason don't really have any of the individual numbers to back themselves up either. And you can say, well, they're decent goalie on a really bad team. They are below average goalies on a very below average team. I wouldn't want to touch either of them right now. So you're saying that even though Emery has these four wins in six games and this pretty respectable 9.15 save percentage this season, you still wouldn't want to take him? No, I wouldn't because he's a career average 9.08 save percentage and he has never, in several different situations, been able to claim the starter's job. I'm not about to start trusting him now. He's only getting older too. Okay, and the other goalie I wanted to talk about is Chad Johnson on the New York Islanders. There was a stretch, I guess last week now, where he played three games in a row Yaroslav Halak was on the bench, not injured. He got two wins out of those three games. Overall, this season, his numbers are pretty weak. But, you know, Yaroslav Halak hasn't done much better. So I'm curious, maybe not if Chad Johnson is going to become the number one goalie, but is it slowly turning into a 1A, 1B situation? Or do you think that Yaroslav Halak is still the undisputed number one? First, I'll take on what you said about those wins. One of them came versus Anders Lindback and the Dallas Stars, which shouldn't count if Anders Lindback is the goalie opposite you. He won despite giving up five goals and stopping only... 84% of the shots he faced. The next game, guess how many goals he gave up? Five. Again. So his save percentage on the year right now is 870 over a sample of 115 shots against, which isn't a big sample. And I don't know if that really represents his true ability, but his true ability is definitely lower than Yaroslav Halak, who has a better save percentage of 891 on the season that is beneath what we can expect it to be by the end of the season. And what's happening in Long Island in terms of coaching is interesting. What I've read is that the coach, Jack Capuano, likes to ride the hot hand, and I think he measures the hot hand just by wins or something, and that's why Johnson is getting the starts he's getting. I think Halak is the undisputed number one in a lot of coaches' eyes and a lot of hockey followers' eyes in his own coach's eyes. I don't know if he's there yet, but I think Halak's talent should make up for the quirks of his coach, and he should be seen as the guy who has the hot hand more often than not over the rest of the season. So basically, the conclusion of this segment is, don't pick up Emery, don't pick up Johnson. Also, (laughs) you shouldn't have had Mason to begin with, but Halak's okay. Yeah, Halak's okay. And of course, going back to what we were saying about McElhenney, if you need goalie starts, these are all guys you want to consider. If you're really concerned about save percentage and goals against numbers, though, Uh, you might want to back away. Okay, well, before we get to the players of note, uh, a little bit of inside baseball for the listeners of Keeping Carlson. Everything you've heard before now, Brian and I recorded this afternoon, but then we had to stop our recording, and now we're restarting, and it is currently 11 p.m. on Sunday night. And so before we get to the players of note, which will close out the show... Brian, there's a couple of updates since earlier in the episode. We're giving you up-to-the-minute data, even within... A single episode. So, Brian, tell the listeners what's changed since we last talked. Okay, let's start with Alex Ovechkin, who we covered earlier in the show. And I swear I said this before, not like it was any piece of particularly genius advice. I think most people probably would have thought that you don't have to worry about him. But in case you weren't sure, he's now put up four points against the Arizona Coyotes, a goal and three assists. Mind you, it's against Devin Dubnik on a poor team. But... 
he still did it and he's going to be fine. We don't have to split hairs about Ovechkin's production. Everything's going to be fine. So I'm happy to be vindicated. Please believe me when we say we were able to manage to make that amazing, incredible prediction before. And also, I mentioned that James Neal was a Cy Young candidate early on at seven goals and zero assists. He just got an assist on a Philip Forsberg goal in the game against Vancouver. So that's out the window, too. But aside from that, I think we're all good. All right. And with that out of the way, we were talking about goalies before. So, Brian, why don't you tell us about another goalie that I know you wanted to talk about this week on the aforementioned team that James Neal just got an assist against? Well, I'm against him in both of my main leagues this week. So I couldn't help but notice that Ryan Miller has won eight of nine games so far this year. And so he must be playing like he's on fire. And certainly he's not the middle of the pack goalie that he's been in Buffalo for most of the last three years. Unless that's actually exactly what's happening. He's not sporting a terribly impressive even-strength save percentage. He's ranked 19th out of 30 goalies that have played six or more full games, but he's won eight of nine games. So I tried to figure out how Vancouver is helping him win with him putting up such an average number. So their on-ice shot percentage at five on five is a touch above average. So they're right in the middle of the league in total power play minutes. Their possession numbers are on the right side of 50%, but nothing to write home about. They're providing modest goal support, but not an amount that would guarantee an average goalie wins. He hasn't gotten any younger, entering this year at 34 years old. So none of those explanations are really holding water. So what is going on? Well, I think all you have to do, and it's very simple, is consider that Ryan Miller is no longer playing for the historical levels of awful Buffalo Sabres. He hasn't gotten any better himself, and his team isn't necessarily carrying him to victory, but it's this simple. He's an all-right goalie on an all-right team that happens to be winning games right now. Much about him is the same in terms of his numbers, except for that W column. Is he going to win 8 out of every 9 games? No. Will he win more than 15 out of every 40 games like he did in Buffalo? Yeah. Will his save percentage really improve to any noteworthy extent? Uh, unlikely. Probably not. But he has proven, at the very least, that he's not ready to fall off the goalie cliff just yet, although it'll probably begin to happen sometime during the span of his current contract. But that's not your concern in fantasy hockey, so enjoy it while it lasts. And if you're feeling really brave, sell high on him. You can go to puckalytics.com, see which goalies have better even-strength save percentages over the last few years, and aim for those guys. Okay, well, Brian, it's such a tease. Like, obviously, we could go to Puckalytics, but just give us one. Give us one surprising goalie that's higher than Ryan Miller that you might want to sell high for. Well, so far this year, his numbers are better than all of Ben Bishop, Henrik Lundqvist, Tuka Rask, Yaroslav Halak, Sergei Bobrovsky, Braden Holtby. And those guys, it's not even like they're just behind Ryan Miller. They are in, like, the bottom third of goalies when ranked by even-strength save percentage. I don't believe they'll all last there very long. In fact, the guys at the top, I'd probably try and stay away from. We're still looking at small sample sizes. I would be happy to swap him out for any of those guys that I just mentioned. And his numbers might make that awfully tempting for any potential trade partner. Okay, and for the next player of note, I know who you're going to talk about. And it actually relates to a tweet we got earlier this week from at Toot Selleck. He asked, should I drop Kadri to pick up Kucherov? And this was before Nazem Kadri had a couple of really nice games for Toronto over the weekend. We've already talked about Kucherov. He wouldn't have been a bad guy to pick up. But what's up with Nazem Kadri? He had a weak start to the season, but now he's picking it up. 
What are your thoughts? I don't think it's fair to say that he had a weak start to the season. In terms of production, yes, but I would rather say that his coaching staff had a weak start to the season. Kadri and his new linemate, Daniel Winnick, are both enjoying playing with their new linemate, Phil Kessel, although Kadri was playing with Winnick for a lot of this season, but the third was Lupul. Nothing serious has changed in Kadri's underlying numbers, but as Tyler Bozak knows, Phil Kessel changes everything, and that's not to say that Kadri is riding coattails at all. His fancy stats have long been strong throughout his arguable misuse by Randy Carlyle, and now that he's getting the chance to put them to different use to proper use... Kadri's production is paying dividends to fantasy owners. Winnick has also been a strong possession guy, playing tough minutes in Anaheim for the last couple seasons, and while he's not about to be the driving force behind any of his team's scoring, he's likely not going to get left too far behind the line mates that are doing it. If the line stays intact for another handful of games, Winnick makes a good add in the vein of Pascal Dupuis or the aforementioned Tyler Bozak. If you have Kadri on your team, congratulations. If he's a free agent in your league right now, I would strongly consider picking him up as long as he continues to be used in the way that he's being used now. Very interesting. I wasn't expecting at the beginning of this season that we'd be talking about Daniel Winnick as an ad a few weeks into the season. But hey, that's how fantasy hockey goes, I guess. You put in the right position and you become valuable. Elon, that is a perfect segue into our lightning round. Do you mind if I get going? Give her. Okay, so let's get started with Devante smith Pelly, who was a beneficiary of being on the right line at the right time. Uh, but as far as advice for him goes, we've had a lot of tweets, and my answer has generally been the same. It's been the same advice that I generally gave for Heatley, although not quite so extreme. Devante smith Pelly has never really done something to irk me so much as Danny Heatley has. When smith Pelly is playing with Perry and Getzlaff, he's great. But in leagues with limited moves, it's probably not worth adding and dropping him for every three-game stretch that that happens. On his own, there's not a ton of fantasy relevance there at this point. You can probably leave him where he is for now. Yeah, and especially with Pat Maroon back, he really does seem to be doing well on this line. And I guess we say that all the time, and then it changes over in Anaheim. But it does seem that they're happy with Pat Maroon there right now. So barring any injuries, I don't think Smith Pelly gets a chance on that top line for at least a while. Yeah, it's a revolving door. And I swear, I feel like we talk about this every week on the show. It reminds me of the old, like, who's going to play with Alfredson and Spezza conversations in Ottawa back in those glory days. (laughs) Okay, so we're in the lightning round. Hit us with another bolt. How about a flyer? Michael Roffel playing on the top line with Jakub Voracek and Claude Giroux. He has six goals and one assist for seven points to show for his time alongside those two. Well, one elite scorer and one eh, close to elite scorer. The knock on him last year was that he was moving up and down the depth chart a lot, kind of like Nachushkin was around the same time. And also that his shot totals were consistently low. But he's shown promising signs just over the last few games. He's put 12 on target in his last three contests. If you have like a rotating spot on your roster where you're constantly moving guys in and out, he might be somebody that you want to move in for the next little while just to see where this goes. And again, I guess he's also in this theme of people benefiting from their line. If Raffle is moved off of the line with Giroux and Voracek, I assume his value goes way down. But for now, he's there, so you might as well try to reap the benefits. 
Okay, and lastly, one player who kind of fits the same profile for your fantasy team as Michael Roffle is a guy you might want to consider moving into a very fluid lineup spot just to see what will happen is Johnny Gaudreau. As of this recording, he's got a tidy little three-game point streak going during which he's got a goal and four assists for five points total. None of them have come on the power play. Keep an eye on his shot on goal totals. He'd put up zeros in the shot column six times this season, gotten one twice, and topped out at two, but he's got 14 in his last three games played. If that keeps up, there's a fair chance the points will too. I'm not certain that this is particularly sustainable, but it is nice after the dismal start he had, although I think some of what we're seeing is a result of how he's being used. So keep an eye on Johnny Goodrow. And if you've got a low stakes kind of spot on your roster where you usually have somebody who is hot for a little while and then drops off, maybe it's time to give him the opportunity to fill that spot for your team. Interesting that you bring up Godreau. We just got a tweet literally 11 minutes ago from at Spicy Richter. He asked at Keeping Carlson, good last few days for Johnny Hockey on Calgary. Sustainable? Drop Molson or Semin for him? Well, I think my concerns with Molson were well documented on this week's bonus episode where we interviewed Ryan Wagman of Hockey Prospectus. He kind of shook me into believing that perhaps the Buffalo Sabres just flat out are not going to score enough goals for anyone on their roster to have any kind of fantasy relevance. So in that vein... I think I would consider dropping Molson. Semin is another story. He's now been healthy scratched twice so far. I own him on both of my main pools. And Carolina has won. The only two games that they've won this season have been with Semin scratched. I don't know when he's getting back into the lineup. I don't know what will happen when he does. I still have faith that from this day forward, or from his next game forward, he's still going to score 20 goals somehow. I would be a lot more hesitant to let go of him, but if Molson and Semin are the two worst guys on your roster, not just worst producers up to this date, but worst players in terms of, you know, fantasy history and point production, then I would drop Molson for Gaudreau and try him out. Thanks again for the tweet, at Spicy Richter. And that takes us to the end of this week's episode of Keeping Carlson. Brian, I think this was a jam-packed episode. Hopefully people found something that they can use for their pool this week from the players that we talked about. If you think that you found something valuable in this pool, then maybe you might want to return the favor a little bit by going over to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review. That's a great way to help support the podcast without, you know, giving up the secret of the podcast to the other people in your pool. You could just give us the five-star review on iTunes and someone in like another country will see it and and listen to the show. Yeah, I was just reading some of the reviews and thank you very much. We are very flattered by the things you're saying. In fact, one of the reviews was written by somebody I think who just created an account So write a review, Keeping Carlson, number three. We appreciate the effort. Yeah, thank you, number three. Thank you to number one and number two. And to all of our listeners, we appreciate all of the support. And we promise we're going to keep bringing you episodes of Keeping Carlson as long as you keep listening. But Brian, that's the end of the show. So let's cue that outro music. And why don't you read us the credits? Okay, this episode was supported by the patrons of Keeping Carlson. You can find out more at patreon.com slash keepingcarlson. We are presented by Daily Faceoff, and the show was researched with help from Daily Faceoff, Pucalytics, War on Ice, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Great job this week, Brian, and I can't wait to do this all again next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson.